enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and YouTube to make sure you don't miss any Hello and welcome back to Getaway Day. As always, I am Mason, he is Gautham, and we're here for episode 102. It is now the uh, second full week of the Major League Baseball season. We are roughly 11 games in now, um, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, and we've had a pretty good time so far. Gowie, how's your uh, first uh, really like full, full week of baseball been? It's going great because there's no more like Friday days off. That's just weird. I hate that. Uh, I know why we need it, but it's good to have, you know, regular baseball scheduled back with uh, Mondays and Thursday off days and then usually full slates on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So looking forward to the next uh, 25 plus weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And we haven't really got an opportunity to do like a, a true this week in baseball that was pretty action packed in, I don't know what, six months, seven months. Like basically since September, whenever every team was still playing and we've actually got quite a bit of stuff to talk about today. Um, so we'll get through this week in baseball. And then here at the uh, back half of the episode, we actually are going to be talking about players who were outside of the um, uh, roughly top 130, basically players that had a WRC plus under 100 last year that we think are primed to pop off. So we'll get to that here in a bit. But I want to go ahead and start with some this week in baseball. So I think we would be doing everybody a disservice if we didn't talk about basically the biggest pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg in Grayson Rodriguez. So, Gowie, you want to talk us through Grayson's debut here the other day? Uh, yeah, so his de- debut, pretty tough matchup. He's going up against Jacob deGrom. I mean, that's as tough as it gets. Um Also, Rangers have a solidly improving lineup, so not like they broke him in against the A's, though he did pitch against the A's today in his second start. But um, first inning, he looked super rocky. He he really struggled to throw strikes, didn't seem like super confident. I think he gave up a couple runs there, and then he really locked in, and he actually looked really solid for the rest of the way. Um, And it's not that surprising because, like you said, number one pitching prospect in baseball. He's been kind of on prospect radar for years now. And it was just a matter of time when he would make it to the majors. And I'm really hoping he's here to stay, that it's not that he'll get returned back to the minors when Kyle Bradish comes back from the IL. Yeah. And uh, Grayson is... So this is a really big deal, honestly, for for Baltimore is to have Grayson come up and pitching at the major league level. His uh, his first start gave some pretty good. Uh, uh, oh, what's the words I'm looking for? It made you feel pretty good about his um, ability to pitch at the majors. He did pitch again today, had kind of a rough start, gave up five runs uh, on six hits and four and a third innings. Um, so certainly not ideal. That was against Oakland, as you just mentioned. Um, but this is a 23 year old kid who is an absolute stud. Uh, we were kind of talking about it here on Sunday, I think about just like the different 
pitching prospects that of like the last 10 years and like who was a huge prospect that's also panned out like immediately sort of thing. And there's really not anybody. So if he can do this, he kind of is in a kind of special territory along with Steven Strasburg of like just the hype around him as he comes up and we'll see if he can live up to it. But this is huge for Baltimore because they are really struggling to find starting pitching right now. Still Uh, something that I think we've been saying for what, since at least 2015, if not well before that. Yep. It's been a while. Yeah. So huge deal for Grayson to be up. Um, really excited to see what he can do as he gets a little bit more settled into the majors um, and see how he can, how he can keep attacking uh, hitters. Um, but yeah, let's see. Then I, I'm also going to need you to tell me a little bit more about this one. Cause I didn't get to watch this series, but uh, the San Francisco giants decided to go off uh, here a couple days ago and they hit 13 home runs in one series against the Chicago White Sox. They did, yeah. It was uh, pretty crazy that a team like the Giants, like that that wouldn't be my first guess for a team that would hit 13 home runs in a series, especially in April. So that's got like my spidey senses, like going like, what's going, is something going on with the ball? Like it's too early to make any conclusions, but um, right for now, we can just give credit to the Giants and say they hit a bunch of home runs. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the names of all the guys because this happened last week. Uh, I know Michael Conforto, Mike Yastrzemski, Wilmer Flores, um, David VR. They had a whole bunch of guys just going off against the White Sox pitchers who have kind of had a rough start to the season with guys like Lance Lynn and uh, some others that have really struggled out of the gate here. Yeah, they have gotten uh, got good production out of Dylan Cease so far, though. So there is a bright spot there. Um, the uh, with with the ball, though, like so last year we had the most controlled baseball we've ever had in air quotes. Um, yet there was evidence of there basically being three different balls in use at any given time. There was a dead ball. There was like still a little bit of mixed in of the old live balls from like 2019 or 2020, at least. And and. Basically, we didn't know what ball we had at any given time last year. It does feel like right now we've got something that's a little bit more of a live ball. Uh, I think you mentioned that today Michael A. Taylor has a home run. (laughs) Yeah, that's not exactly a common thing. Um, Also against the White Sox. (laughs) Ooh, that's tough. I'm not sitting here trying to lay into the White Sox necessarily, but they are not. Not exactly making it easy. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see here over the next couple of weeks, like what happens with home run rates just kind of in general. Are we back yeah. up from last year closer to that 2019? Because, I mean, if I were in the commissioner's office, I would be looking at the last couple of years of data and go, well, we want a little bit more home runs in 2022, but we don't want as many as 2019, right? Because, like, last year we had, what, four guys that hit 40 bombs? Yeah. So. Like that. But here's the thing, like, I I think people think that baseball knows what they're doing with the baseballs. I think it's just the fact that 
each of these baseballs is hand produced by a person, not a machine. There's going to be variation. I think these different batches of balls are going to come out differently. Maybe they're within the specs. Maybe the specs are pretty loose. And that, that actually would make sense to me. So I, I just don't think MLB smart enough to actually be purposely like dropping in different batches of balls that play differently into different places. It's just, we can't give them that much credit. I'm not going to. So why don't we machine spool these? That's a great question. There's got to be a way to do that, right? I feel like it would be fairly easy. Yeah. Like, that seems like one of the simpler things that we could do with a machine. But Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, well, I guess we are forgetting that this is baseball and they're usually about a hundred years behind the times. So maybe they haven't caught up to the industrial revolution yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll have steam powered trains in minute Maid park very, very soon. So, but yeah. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that, but another thing happening with the ball, this isn't really happening with the ball. I just want to talk about it. Uh, Another young stud uh, called up to the majors, made the opening day roster uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Jordan Walker has started his career with a 10 game hitting streak. He's got two home runs in that span and he is hitting the ball hard. Like his average exit velo, I think is like 101 right now or 98. Like it's high for the exit velo. His launch angle, on the other hand, not, not high at all. Um, I think you were telling me we didn't have it for sure. So I'll pull it up real quick. But what what is your guess as to what Jordan Walker's uh, average exit or launch angle is right now? Uh, I think it's like one degree or something. Uh, launch angle, launch angle, launch angle. 0.4 degrees. 0.4 degrees. Now, for those of you that are uh, not very engineering focused minds, uh, the human eye can only differentiate on the level of about a half a degree. So you can just barely tell that this is not a flat liner off the bat. Um, yeah. Also, I lied. His his max exit velo is at uh, 114. His average is uh, about 90. But it's if you watch the balls that he's putting in play, it, he's just smoking one after another and it, it looks impressive when you're watching. So I really think that this is a guy who once he kind of figures it out, like pitchers are going to learn how to attack him and he's going to have a rough spot. But the fact that he's able to go on a 10 game hit streak to start his career is also an impressive feat. Definitely. So like there's a lot of hope and a lot of reason to like this guy moving into the future. He's not the biggest, uh, not the biggest contact hitter either. Like he is a power guy, but this is giving you a lot of hope for what he can do in the future. Maybe he could be a 260 hitter with 50 bombs. That'd be phenomenal. So lots of good stuff from uh, Jordan Walker. Um, but I think the biggest thing that people have been talking about with the Cardinals right now actually has to do with another one of their sluggers. And that is Tyler O'Neill. 
So I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, uh, but there is a little bit of a tiff between Tyler O'Neill and manager Ali Marmol. So Tyler O'Neill uh, got thrown out at the plate here a couple, maybe five days ago, something like that. Um, and Ali Marmol called him out to the media, like directly and said that he wasn't hustling and he basically needs to uh, get his stuff in line and, and start start hustling and, and putting out all effort. Uh, Tyler obviously took offense to that um, being that he is trying, putting in uh, as much effort as he can. And this shouldn't have been taken straight to the media. What is your opinion on it, Gotham? Yeah, so just to start off, going back to the specific play, so he was on second base. He kind of, um, it looked like he sort of slowed down coming around third base. Maybe he was just didn't get like a great turn around the base or whatever. And then he was, he was not like running. He wasn't just jogging or anything. He wasn't like running super slowly. He, but he, he maybe could have run faster, but it just seems like there's something more to it. It's, it doesn't make sense for the manager to like be that uh, strong and that open about criticizing him for that one specific play, which didn't really seem egregious to me. I mean, Ronald Acuna is the guy that threw him out. The guy has a cannon for an arm. Um, well, and the thing that's weird is John Mosellock commented on the pregame the next day and agreed on the pregame show with Ali Marmol. Like so they're they, doubling down basically. And, they're, and doubling the next down. day they they asked Marmol again and he basically repeated exactly what he said the day before. So um, yeah, which something's up with this. It's which different. I watching the games and and I was at opening day and I will I will say there were times where it seems like Tyler O'Neill is maybe he's going 95%. He's giving a, a crap ton of effort but he's not going full bore because he has had a lot of injuries in the last couple of years. And he's trying to stay healthy both because one, he's trying to get a new contract. Um, two, he just really wants to be on the field. He doesn't want to be hurt. So he's, it seems like he's backing off in order to try and save himself a little bit, but in doing so he's given up like a couple of uh, base hits that I think he really could have got to on opening day. Um, and you saw how that game went. Like that was, that was wild. There were 34 hits in that game and every single one of them seemed like it came around to score. So if you stop one or two of those from dropping, maybe that game turns out different. Maybe if he were running a little bit faster here, he could have beat out the throw by Ronald. I don't know. Probably not, but maybe, but it just feels like the Cardinals are saying we want to win. We know that you're worried about being about getting hurt. But trust us, we're not going to put you in a situation to hurt yourself. Give yeah. us all your effort. It's and a, it's he's over a, there just kind of saying. A tough, tough balance, right? Managing like what the team wants and then the, like what the player, the player needs to be looking out for himself as well as the team, right? So you, in some senses, you can't blame O'Neill for trying to take the best care of himself too, right? Like his potential earnings are on the line. His health is on the line here. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I, I just don't, in my eyes, I don't see like the problem with what he's doing at all. I, I, I don't see like a lack of effort. 
or anything or like being checked out of games or anything like that. Yeah. And, and that's the part that makes it really difficult to watch. Cause it's like, I love Tyler. I, I think Tyler has done a lot of great stuff for this organization and think that he'll continue to do so. You can tell he's not going absolutely 100%, 100% of the time, but Marathoners. Neither is Manny Machado, right? And he finished yeah. second in MVP voting last year. Yeah. And marathoners don't run 100% effort the entire marathon. Like yeah, you have to pace yourself and use your bursts to your advantage in order to get to the end with the best time. And that's the so, difference between baseball and football, right? In football, you play 17 weeks. Yeah. NFL players play 17 weeks. They go all out in their 17 games. If you're not going all out, like you're going to be in big trouble with your team in baseball. Yeah. I think you've got to pace yourself. It's a yeah. Long and season. this is the first week of the season really yeah. is what we're talking about here. Like this isn't, this isn't the pennant race. Like, I mean, it could play a, play a role in the pennant race. Cause I mean, games in April count the same as games in September, but like, we've got a marathon to, to finish here. So like if he's given 95%, right now he'll he'll be a hundred percent when it counts so let's i don't know and, and then the cardinals also have like 50 million outfielders right now that they're all trying to fit into the picture so i wonder if that's the other part of it they're like you're the vet you need to be showing up a hundred percent because these young guys are showing up a hundred percent trying to take your job maybe that's part of it i don't know but like we've seen uh, Dylan Carlson get more playing time here this week, and he's actually hitting well right now, which is not really something that we've been able to say for Dylan Carlson in the last couple of years. Um, Lars Newtbar, when he comes back from the IL, what's going to happen? Alec Burleson has been hitting the ball incredibly hard, and he's been playing fairly well, even though he really probably shouldn't be in the outfield. Jordan Walker is a 10-game hit streak. Like He's trying everything that he can to stick long term so you've got all these guys going 100 percent, and maybe maybe it's an optics thing where like tyler is given so much to the team but he's only giving 95 percent right now so clearly he's slacking off whereas everyone else is giving 100 percent, just trying to stay with the team and i mean that's what it that's, feels like it, it had to be right it's sending a message more than anything it's it's obviously an overreaction for the first week of the season in yeah. like just some random april game right it's it's more just like a message to O'Neill and kind of a message to the team, but that's not the way I would have done it if I was a manager. It, yeah, it definitely can, kind of rubbed me the... that all internally. You can have yeah. those conversations between the player and even as a team, but I just don't understand why he would do it in that way. Yeah, the way he did it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, honestly. Um, but we'll see where it goes from here. I I'm less concerned about Tyler O'Neill than I am literally any part of the pitching staff right now. I was going to say Cardinals so, have a lot of issues right now and they could use one of their many, uh, outfielders to trade for a starting pitcher. Yep. And I honestly, we could use two of them if we wanted to, but like we've got, We've got so many guys that are looking for a spot on this roster and deserve a spot on this roster. Um, from Yepes, who is only up right now because Newt Barr is on the aisle. Um, you've got Burleson. You've got Walker. You've got Carlson. You've got O'Neill. You've got Taylor Motter, who's been playing all over the field. Um, like you've got 
Did I say Juan Yepes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we've got a couple others that are in the minors that are probably about ready to be depth pieces at least. Um, so it, it kind of feels like there's something going on, and O'Neill is definitely kind of irked by it. I don't know. It kind of feels like they're setting it up to move him. Like, but also at the same time, right? His value is pretty much in the tank right now. He's coming off a rough season. Uh, he's like not in his manager's good graces. He's not even playing. So it's like he, he, w- he is in the lineup today, but in the original lineup, he was not. So that would have been two days sitting on the bench. So it's like, you can't showcase a guy to like trade if he's not really playing. Yeah. So I don't know. The entire thing's just weird, honestly, but, um, we should probably go ahead and move on so we can get to some other stuff. Cause I could talk about that for like the next hour and a half. Uh, but this is surprisingly not a Cardinals podcast. Uh, it's so next podcast, right? It's, it's mostly a Cardinals podcast, but what can I say? I'm passionate. Um, so next up we have the Tampa Bay devil rays. Also known as the Tampa Bay Rays because they're stupid and they dropped the devil from their name. And I didn't like that at the time and I still don't like it now. They have started the season 10 and 0. Which is crazy. Uh, This is the second best start to a season, I think. Other than like the... There's been a couple 13 and 0 starts in history. The last one was the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. Who, started uh, who ended up winning the World Series that year, I will point out. So, um, wait, what? They did? What? Didn't they beat the Cardinals? I uh, don't know. Because the Cardinals won in 82, went in 87, and I thought they played the American League Milwaukee Brewers. They. They finished third in the AL East. I don't think they even made the playoffs. What am I thinking of? I think you might be thinking of uh, a different season. 19, I don't know. Anyway. The Cardinals beat them in 1982. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Okay. My beat. Yeah, because I was going to say the Brewers haven't won the World Series. So let's not forget that. (laughs) That's, That's a valid point. So, yeah, it must have been 1982. (laughs) Um, But but anyways, yeah, the Rays are doing this uh, pretty cool thing where they're crushing every team they play. Uh, Before yesterday's 1-0 win against the Red Sox, they had won nine straight games by at least four runs. So it's not like they were, like, squeaking out some one-run games. They were actually just destroying all their opponents. Um, Some of the opponents were... A little rough. We we have to mention that they did play Detroit. They played Oakland and I don't remember Washington. the other team, Washington. So three of the worst teams in the league. That's important. But the fact that they're just beating them by like four plus runs every night, and they haven't had one clunker game in there, that's just like it's amazing. It's just crazy. Yeah, because so I've I've seen so many people that have said some form of the teams they're playing are terrible. Of course they're 10 and 0. like who wouldn't be 
and that this isn't impressive, things like that. Uh, wrong. Period. Wrong. Baseball is such a weird game that the worst team in the league wins 60 times a year. And I that's don't know when if that's going to be true this year. <laughs> <laughs> the Nationals are pretty bad. They might win 50. Okay. The worst teams win 50 times a year, which is about 33% of the time. So the fact that they've rattled off 10 in a row and have not lost one game, let alone two or three, as statistics would usually point to, that's impressive. It doesn't matter how bad the other team is because you're not necessarily going to be on it every day. Your pitching staff isn't going to be on it every day. The bad teams might just get hot for a day, and that hasn't happened yet for the Tampa Bay Rays team, and I believe they're winning by a considerable margin as we speak. Are they not? Yeah, let me give you a score. Uh, They're up 7-1 in the eighth inning against the Red Sox. Yeah, so... uh, No, but that's a great point. uh, Literally nothing has gone wrong for this team. Every single part of the team is like firing on all cylinders. I think, so Pete Fairbanks, he's our closer. They were calling him rare banks because he had pitched in like one game in the first nine games of the season. So I actually want to challenge something you just said. You said that nothing is going wrong for the Rays. I would like to challenge that. And it's not like a big thing going wrong, but they did just lose Zach Eflin to the IL. Yeah, so, but that's like, not like that's not really on the field, right? T- true, but it does affect that team and what could happen here in the future. So it's it's not like this has been a perfect season on the field and off the field. The team is healthy all the time, whatever. Because I think Glassnow is still not back either. So it's like yeah. there. This is a team that could be better, and they're still. 10 and 0. Yeah. And also, I'll, I'll mention Jose Siri. Jose Siri, who started the season super hot, is also on the IL and they kind of are finding ways to replace him. But with the Eflin injury, it's not like they're bringing up a scrub. They're actually bringing up one of the top prospects in baseball and Todd Bradley. So, yeah, it's who kind is of the, like a good situation? In some he's ways. the first pitcher in the major leagues born in 2001 or later. That is just so gross. We have seen it was roughly 10. I, I didn't count exactly. We've seen roughly 10 hitters born in 2001. We have seen our first player born in 2002. That's in Walker, Jordan right? Walker. Yeah. Yep. And but Taj Bradley is the first pitcher born in 2001 or later to make it to the big leagues. And he is their top pitching prospect. Actually, I think he's their top prospect. I don't even think. I don't even think the pitching tag is needed there. I think he's their top prospect. Um, and he's a good one. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, I'm kind of excited because, like, this Rays team just, if they think he's ready to pitch at the majors, he's probably ready to pitch at the majors. Like, it seems like they can't miss with stuff like that. Yeah. So there's so much other interesting stuff going on with this team, too, on offense. It looks like Wander Franco is kind of becoming the guy that he was supposed to be as a prospect. He's got four home runs already. He's not striking out at all. He's just kind of putting everything together. Um, Well, and, and to that point, like he's never not been that guy. He just hasn't been on the field. Yeah. But this is even another level when you add in the power 
game to it too. Like he always had the great contact and some other things like the defense and everything, but putting power with that package too, like this is talk we're talking about an MVP candidate. All right. I can um, buy in. So without getting the topic or without getting the conversation too off topic, is he top three MVP this year? This year? I mean, if you think about uh, Wander Franco, like like I've been saying, kind of what his skill set is, it's like um, it's hit tool. That's like his number one skill, I think, that he has. Yeah. Um, then you add some power into that. You add like plus shortstop defense. And like a comp, um, honestly, could be like Juan Soto, obviously not a shortstop, but like that sort of like player. Honestly, like super it, young, and it feels to me like he's a he's almost like a mixture of Vlad and Bo, because like he's got Bo's speed and defense, and he's got some of Vlad's power. Obviously, he's not Vlad level power, yeah. uh, but Vlad has that elite hit tool, and Bo has a phenomenal hit tool that's just like a step below Vlad. So, like, he kind of reminds me of a fusion of those two, where it's like he's. Oh, my God. I got to interject and say Nelson Velasquez just hit a grand slam. It's 7-7. The Cubs just came back down from a 7-0 lead. It's the they third They came inning. back from that? In, th- in one inning. Oh, my <laughs> God. What is going on in that game? <laughs> Chris Flexen's so, having a rough one. It's actually 8-7. Sorry. Oh, good Lord. Ugh. Julio needs to hit another couple homers. Uh, what were we talking about? I have no idea. Wander, I think, but that, that was that was off topic anyway. So um, probably oh, a good so thing. I, I got one more question on the raise for you. All right. What do you got? Is, is there anything that's like su- really surprising you or like, should we not be freaking out about 10 games if this has happened like sometime in june like we would have talked about the winning streak but it wouldn't have been like such a big deal as as it is just because it started the season like this so the only reason that i'm looking at it with any kind of uh like a second glance like uh oh that's kind of impressive is just because of the fact that it's it's so early and we're seeing a team that's out here and looks like that they've been playing ball competitively for months. Like this isn't a team that looks like they just got back from spring training where some of their players were playing the WBC and not actually with the team. Like this looks like a team that's gelled. It looks like their pitchers are are stretched out. They're locked in. Their hitters are locked in. And that's really abnormal for April for a team to be clicking this hardcore this early. Um like we've obviously seen individual players go out and have phenomenal Aprils. Eric Hosmer is the poster child of that. But this is like having an entire team of Eric Hosmers. And they're just going out and flat out dominating from day one. And it's it's really impressive to see. Like, yeah, it's super super awesome. Like, especially we didn't really talk about the pitching that much, but the guys that are part of the rotation, obviously like McClanahan, he's a big prospect and he's really good. But two of the other guys in the rotation, Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen, they were relievers two years ago. And now they're 
shutting down opponents for like six, seven innings to start. I don't think those two guys have given up a run this year or like maybe they've given up one run combined between four starts. Yeah. And like I said, they're missing uh, who uh, they're missing the guy that before McClanahan came up last year, we thought was their ace in Tyler Glass. Now he's still not here Yeah, and they're doing this like, if if this were a team that had McClanahan, a healthy Tyler Glass now, the way he was pitching before he got hurt, um, I, I don't know, maybe Blake Snell from his Cy Young season, like that would I would look at that and go, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But with the guys that they have now coming from where they did, it's it's really impressive to see. Like it, it's it's kind of like, and this isn't a guy that we have on the rundown, but it. It's kind of like Seth Lugo. Like just the the fact that watching Seth Lugo go out and he's been a reliever for the Mets for the last like, what, four or five years? Yeah. Yeah. And now he's gone out. He's thrown seven innings in his first start, six innings this week or yesterday. Like it's a guy that you wouldn't expect to be or to do this at such a high level so early. Like I'm sure that we could have assumed that at some point he would stretch out. He would knock off the rust from his being a starter back in 2013 or whatever. But you wouldn't think the first start that he's done it, he's going to be locked in and we're going to be off to the races. And and right. that's where we're at. And and that there's a bigger point around that. I think that what you said is great. It's, um, Baseball is a game of opportunities and the Rays, it's selective opportunities. They're, they were not going to put, you know, Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen in their rotation if they thought they were not going to be like doing good because they have plenty of other guys that could do what like they could. If they had better guys, they would they would pick those guys. And it seems weird that, you know, Jeffrey Springs became a starting pitcher, but the Rays like get the best out of all these guys and it's insane what they've been doing for years now. Yeah. Which is exactly why I think Tosh Bradley is going to be just fine. (laughs) So, um, we do have another couple of uh, things that we need to talk about here and get to our main topic. And we're already 30 minutes in. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll, we'll go ahead and move down just a little bit. Um, Real quick, I'll mention my last thing for the Cardinals because I probably should have put it up with the Cardinal stuff and completely missed it. Uh, Nolan Arenado got to 300 career home runs this week. His first homer of the season, number 300 of his career, uh, number 65 in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. So I think Nato, now that he's not pushing for that, we're getting ready to start seeing some really good hitting from him. Um, but I'll keep that brief and we'll go ahead and move on. Uh, Lots of injuries this week. Uh, a couple of really, really big ones, too. So O'Neill Cruz uh, had kind of a really awkward slide um, here. Was it against the White Sox? It was Sebi Savala, yeah. right? I think it was Sunday. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he like it's almost like he couldn't decide if he was going in head, head first or feet first. And then he ended up going in feet first. It was way late. Yeah. yeah, and so he kind of collided with Sebi Savala and ended up breaking his ankle on the play, and he's going to be out for, I think, four months? That's yeah, what they said? At least four months, I would say. Like, that's not a easy injury to come back from. No, 
No, so that is a huge hit to the and Pittsburgh that sucks, Pirates. It makes me so mad because O'Neill Cruz looked like he was kind of figuring stuff out. He wasn't like striking out as much this year. Looked like he could really take that next step. And we're, we're just going to have to wait for at least four months now. Yeah. Uh, but other guys who have gone down with injuries here, Adam Duvall, who we talked about last week, who was having the start of a season that he's never had before. He's never played this well in his life. I got an awesome alone to start stat a season. on Adam Duvall for you. What do you got? You're going to like this one. So Adam Duvall put up, I think, 1.1 war in his first week of the season. He mm-hmm. was leading the major leagues. That's more war than Eric Hosmer has put up combined in the last five years. Is he so bad outside of April that his like 10 <laughs> April war is yeah. just like negated? Uh, yeah, his his uh his war in the last like 600 games is 0. 0.5. Juan Yepes. Um dang. That's wow. But yeah, so Duvall is out with a broken wrist, I believe. Yes. Um, which kind of landed awkwardly on a diving play. Uh, really, really unfortunate because he's been playing out of his mind so far this year. So big hit to the Red Sox, big hit to Adam Duvall. Uh, hope he gets back soon and can pick up where he left off because that was fun to watch. Uh, we've also seen basically the entire White Sox team get injured. Uh, again. So again, yeah, so... uh Yoan Moncada is not on the IL, but he's been out the last couple days. He's expected to be back this weekend. Eloy Jimenez has been out with a a hamstring injury. He was on the 15-day IL, I believe, and he'll be reinstated this weekend. 10-day for hitter, 15-day for pitchers. Yeah, that. 10-day IL. There we go. Uh, Tim Anderson has a sprained MCL, and he's going to be out somewhere between two and four weeks. Probably more likely four. Just based on MCL injuries that I've seen in the past, but um, yeah, this has been been huge. Joe Kelly, I think, has uh, strained groin, fifteen day IL. Um, so it's kind of rough so far if you're the Chicago White Sox. Lots of injuries, and this is a team that, whenever they're healthy, we think they can be really good. I say think because we've never been able to see it. Like, so I'm hoping that they can come back, get healthy, and then go on a run. Because I want to see what this team looks like with the entire core on the field at the same time. No doubt, yeah. So, uh, anything else for this week in baseball? Uh, nope, I think I'm good. All right. So, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, um, our main topic today is some hitters who have kind of underperformed last year that we think are prime for uh, to pop back off this year and pop their way to the top 100, top 130-ish. Um, and I know 130 seems like a random number. I'll explain why uh, that is the number that we're going with. So we're looking at hitters that in 2022 had 400 or more plate appearances. So they don't have to be qualified for the batting title or anything like that. We just want 400 plate appearances. You played about a little more than half the season. Um, And 
guys that were under 100 WRC plus, uh, which is a statistic that's really more on the fan graphs and MLB side. You can't find that one on baseball ref. So uh, that's what we're using as our baseline for what we're talking about here. And basically looking at who we think can pop back off. For example, a guy that we've talked about before, and uh, we talked about him last week, Joey Gallo. So Joey Gallo last year had, oh shoot, I had this pulled up. I got to pull up my list again. Uh, Joey Gallo last year had just an absolutely abysmal season. Uh, And I don't think there's any nicer way to say that, is there? Yeah, batting averages and everything, but I think the guy hit about 140 last year. Yeah, it was 120 or 140. 160, yeah. Yeah, that's just that's just rough. Here, let, let me get my actual list pulled back up so I could tell you where he was on the list because that's what I was ultimately looking for. So he had uh, 85 WRC plus last year. Okay, so- which puts him at 177th. In the majors last year. Perfect 100 completely average in the major leagues is 130. There were 130 batters that were average or better. And Joey Gallo was 15% worse than that last year. Um, He still had 19 home runs. He still walked 13.7% of the time. But he had a major, major issue, even compared to himself. With strikeouts. He's the 35% strikeout rate guy every year, which is insanely high. Last year, he was at 40, mm-hmm. 39.8% strikeout rate. Yep. That is absolutely unsustainable, no matter how good you are. And it kind of showed here like he was on base a lot from walks, he had power. He only had 410 plate appearances because he missed. 40-ish games. Um, But he only hit 160, and that really dragged down pretty much everything about his batting line. So, and the biggest thing that I noticed looking on, like, Baseball Savant, um, his exit velocities were fine. Uh, Well, actually, I say that... um, I think his exit velocities were actually a little bit down last year. Um, but still but very good. That still wasn't very a problem. good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think he was in the 89th percentile for max exit velo, the 69th percentile for average exit velo, which is the big one there. Um, is that he was not getting good contact as often. And so his average was being pulled down. Where that all comes from is he, in the past, has hit about, what, almost 200 on breaking pitches. And that's kind of historic over his last couple seasons. Like 2021, he hit 194, 2021, 47, 2019, 211, 2018, 192. So, like, he's about a 200 hitter on breaking pitches. He's about 200 (laughs) hitter overall well yeah but something clearly happened last year that it's like what in the world uh off speed last year gallo hit 179 
On fastballs, he hit 176. Both are terrible, it's, even for him. But breaking pitches, of which he saw 487. Um, and what's the batted ball events here? 41 batted ball events on breaking pitches, and he had a, a .11 batting average, 111 batting average on those last year, which is so much worse than it's ever been in the past. And I started trying to look at like how or why that is, and the main thing is that he increased his overall swing rate last year by 7%. So he quit being as selective as he's been in the past. His uh, outside-the-zone swing Uh, percentage went up 8.5 percent so he expanded his his swings but he expanded them almost exclusively to pitches outside the zone most of which were likely breaking pitches and he was abysmal against those last year but that's really weird for joey gallo because like he's usually a really patient hitter knows the strike zone very well takes a lot of walks so I don't really think that that's something that's necessarily going to carry over this year. I think he's and he's already kind of showing that he's not swinging out of the zone as much right now. Granted, we're only 10 games in, so I don't want to look too much into it. Um, The thing that I've noticed with him so far early this year, though, is. He. His called strike rate is a way down from last year so far but his swinging strike rate is about the same. So he's attacking a lot more pitches and just not taking called strikes. But I mean, ultimately less strikes still better. So we're already seeing some signs that like Joey Gallo still has his exit below. He still has his launch angle. If he can cut down on swinging at those pitch or those breaking pitches outside the zone, I think he'll be back to being a 220 hitter with like 30, 40 home run potential. And I think we see Joey Gallo back on the plus side of 100 on the WRC plus. Yeah, I think that's that's a super easy call because he's a guy that even when he doesn't hit for good average, just the walks and the power bring his overall production up to way above average levels. Like he's had 119, 108, 144, 122 in in the past for WRC pluses. So I think it's, it's a pretty easy bounce back. We should note that Joey Gallo is actually injured. He went on the IL today with uh, intercoastal strain. These obliques, they get you every time. Yes, they do. That's why I don't have any. There you go. Uh, So, sorry, I just saw something here in the chat that I'm trying to verify real quick. I believe it, but yes. So, Luis Arise, first cycle in Marlins history. Oh, tonight? Yeah, right now. Oh, cool. So. So, okay, you want to go on to another guy? I got another guy for you that's yeah, kind who, of in the least arise mold, actually, at least in the early goings this season. But he was a guy that I, I really thought was kind of having his breakout in the second half of last year, and that's uh, Philly's second baseman, Bryson Stott, who... um really struggled out of the gate as a rookie, like as many rookies do really just didn't, wasn't, he wasn't good. Like there, there's no way to get around it. Then in the second half last year, he started figuring something out. And then this year 
to start the year, he's actually got a 10 game hitting streak. He's hitting every single game and they've actually moved him up the lineup. And I believe the last two, two days yesterday and today, he's actually led off with Trey Turner batting second. So, um, but the stat I have on Bryson Stott is that his strikeout rate is the second best in the national league, only behind Luis Arias. Um, so puts the bat on the ball. Um, we'll see if the power comes through. He's really fast, probably buy himself some extra hits, uh, just with the speed. So I don't know, Bryson Stott, like you, he's an easy candidate also for this, um, exercise that we're doing here just because he was a rookie last year and, uh, rookies tend to get better in their second year. A lot of the time. Yeah. And I mean, for a guy that had an 83 WRC plus put him a 180th on the list. Like he actually wasn't all that bad last year at the end of the, or like by the end, like his overall numbers, 234, 295, 358, not a great triple slash, but I mean, we've seen triple slashes worse than that. I mean, heck we just talked about Joey Gallo. Um, but 10 home runs, 12 steals, struck out less than 20% last year, walked about 8% last year. Like, if he improves on that, he becomes a really good hitter, especially if he gets that average up just a little bit, which he's kind of been doing so far this year. And natural progression um, kind of implies that we're going to be seeing that from him this year. So I like that call. Um, I think Brandon Marsh is kind of in a similar situation. Um, Obviously a little bit different because he's played before, but he's also been kind of in that really young, kind of struggling early. Uh, I think now he's getting a little bit more comfortable with himself. I haven't looked at what his numbers are so far this year. but he's doing well so far. Good deal. But yeah, my, my gut just tells me that both of these guys are primed for a breakout. Like you've got the statistical reasons for Marsh, or not for Marsh, for Stott, 100% agree. I think that probably also applies to Marsh. So, yeah, um, I'm definitely on board. So, I think the next guy that I want to talk about is a guy that I- I'm going to say it and it's going to seem a little bit crazy because really the point of this exercise is who's going to make the biggest jump and put themselves on the positive side or as close to league average or something to where they're actually like a solid player. And so this next guy is not going to go off this year and have a 200 WRC plus. He's not going to look like Jordan Alvarez. He's not going to look like Aaron judge. Uh, but that guy is Adam Frazier who last year played for Seattle, um, hit 238, 301, 311, um, with three homers, 12% strikeout rate, 7.6% walk rate. Like he had an 81 WRC plus last year, which is not good. It's not, it's terrible. Uh, but in the past couple of years, Adam Frazier has been a really solid player, like basically throughout his entire career, throwing 2020 out the window for the reasons that we've been throwing 2020 out the window for over a year now. Um, his his career WRC plus is 99. So perfectly He's your average, average player. Yeah. He's your average player. Um, his rookie season, 109. 
Second season, 97. Third season, 116. 97. 2021, 113. So, like, this is a guy who could definitely be an average to slightly above average player. Uh, He strikes out about 12 to 15%, walks about 7% every year. That's pretty standard. The thing that held him back last year was that he got basically screwed on BABIP. Uh, what, do you know what average BABIP was last year? Yeah, it was uh, 290, I believe. Yeah, so his last year was 268. So below average BABIP. Obviously not going to increase your batting average from 238 up to 290 by any means. But um, if you have a guy who is usually hitting about 275, 280 with a 7% walk rate. And then all of a sudden you take away 30 points on his average. Like, yeah, that's going to make him a considerably worse batter because he's on base that much less. Uh, It took his OBP down from about 368 to about 300, which is a big factor in WRC plus. Is it not? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that walk rate's really not that impressive it's below average so you know he relies on the batting average to keep him afloat yeah and so if he just regresses back to the mean on BABIP this year I would anticipate Adam Frazier is going to be closer to that 100 overall WRC plus um, which would put him around top 130 in the league so uh, a a jump of 20 on that standings um, and you just made me think so he played last year with Seattle, and Seattle is one of the worst ballparks for left-handed batters batting average. So that could have been part of the dip. Now he goes play in uh, uh, Baltimore, so maybe things will get better just condition-wise. Yeah, that's that's very true. So I like Adam Frazier to have a slightly better year this year than than last. Uh, take him from. 185th in the majors to about 130th, which is, I think, where he should be, really. So, all right, who else you got? Okay, so, I mean, I know you love Adam Frazier. You're a big fan of his. But if he gets back to, like, a 99 WRC+, I'm not going to be, like, super excited. I'm just going to say, okay, he's Adam Frazier. He just had a little bit of a worse season last year. Yeah, but I've been an Adam Frazier guy since how long ago? I don't know. It, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to pick a guy that's a little bit more exciting. And that's uh, Jonathan India, who won the Rookie of the Year in 2021. And then he just had a really broken up season last year where he had like multiple injuries. Uh, he kept coming back and like having something else happen. At one point, um, in the in the Field of Dreams game, he actually like got airlifted to a hospital because of a leg injury, I think. And then he was just somehow back on the field like a week later. But clearly, um, this was not the best version of Jonathan India we've seen as a big leaguer. But, I mean, the Reds are going to play him every day. He's going to hit atop their lineup. And um, why can't he get back to the guy he was in 2021 where he stole uh, 12 bases, hit 21 homers, um, had great OBP, uh, hit 269. I mean, he's off to a pretty good start this season. 
I think that he's just right at that age where he could be like prime for this breakout. He's 26 this year and he's got now two full seasons under his belt. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and this is a guy that uh, like last year, so he's on our list cause he was below average last year, but he was not that far below average. Like he was what? 5% worse than your average hitter. Uh, 249, 327, 378, 10 home runs, 7% walk rate, 21% K rate. That's not a bad year, honestly. Yeah, even with all those yeah. things going wrong, he still was only 5% worse than average. Yeah, like, I would gladly take that, especially out of a, a shortstop uh, this year's second. Well, he's a second baseman, but the reason I say shortstop is because this year with the shift limitations, defense at second base is a little bit closer to defense at short than it has been in the past as far as like the the need for range for defensive ability. So getting that production out of a guy who's playing second base this year, I wouldn't be too upset with that at all. And then if he goes off and can pop off to be closer to what he was in his rookie season, like great second baseman right there. Arguably one of the top in the National League, I I would say pretty pretty easily, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, especially if he takes that next step and improves upon that rookie season. Then you're talking about an all-star type player. Yeah. So I think we've got time for one more. So the question is, where do we want to go? Do we want to go with an obvious or do we want to go with a not so obvious? Uh, Tell me the guys and then we'll just pick. So I'm thinking Castellanos or Yohan Mankata. Or we could go complete wild card in that center fielder we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. Let's do him because we already talked about a couple of Phillies. And let's, right, let's, let's go with, uh, so with uh, yeah, Miles we're going With the man, the myth, the legend, the terrible hitter, Miles Straw. Yeah. So Miles Straw. So the thing that's interesting about this list that we picked out today is that there's a lot of other bad players, but there's not a lot of bad players that get to play and get 400 plate appearances across the season. Miles Straw is one of those guys because he plays great center field defense and the Guardians were not taking him out of the lineup pretty much no matter what. Um, and he's no matter fast. How, and he's fast. So he's got those things going for him. Um, but last year with the bat, he had a 64 WRC plus. He was bottom five in the league. Um, yeah. And like there, there's no like excusing how bad Miles Straw was last year with the bat. But if you just go back a year and you look at 2021, he still was a great defender. He was still a fast base runner and a good base runner, but he was able to put up a um, 97 WRC plus, so just barely below average. So I don't think there's a whole lot of hope that Miles Straw is going to like become a superstar here. He's not old. He's 28. There's no reason he can't use his contact skills, and um, he actually he has OBP skills too to to get himself back up to like roughly right below league average. So it's not like we have super high expectations for him. It's just that. He can't be as bad as he was last year, right? 
Yeah, and for reference, so I just so he was two hundredth out of or two hundred and first out of two hundred and five on the list that we were looking at, but. I filtered it to just qualified batters last year, like guys who could qualify for the batting title awards, all that good stuff. Was he last? He was second to last. Who is 129th out of 130, beating out only Jonathan Scope. There it is. Okay. Uh, who had an abysmal 57. It's just so bad. That is not that's not even how I think Jonathan Scope's career usually is, right? Like I thought no. he was a better hitter than he was a fielder. That flipped. Oh god. So but yeah, I think if Miles Straw can even become a league average hitter with that defense and that and the speed that he's got, like he becomes almost like Kiermeyer two point Because yeah. like when he's on base, he's stealing then. Which is not something that Kiermeyer really did all that much. Or at least not like an excessive amount. Yeah, Miles Straw's got like very good. He's a very, very good base dealer. He's already got six stolen bases this year. Yeah, so he's like wreaking havoc from the bottom of the lineup. If he gets on base, um, it doesn't matter if he hits like one home run this year. If he can, yeah, I mean bring that value, he could have an ISO of zero, and if he gets a single every time and steals second. And occasionally third, like you're basically taking a guy that has zero power and turning him into one of the highest power guys in the league just because of his legs. So I really like that pick there. Um, I think that pretty much takes us to the end of this week's episode. So thank you all very, very much for hanging out with us this week. Uh, We will be back next. Well, I will be back next week. Uh, Gautham will not be here because he decided that he's going out of the country. Selfish. I'm sure you'll hold down the fort here and uh, I'll be looking forward to catching up in two weeks. Well, I look forward to seeing you back here in two weeks and we will. uh, That's actually a great question. See back. I have no idea who's filling in, so we'll figure it out. Um, But yeah, so we will see you guys back here next week. Have a great rest of your evening and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod. If you enjoy card collecting, check out our sister YouTube channel at Getaway Day Cards.